Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome to Filthy Shambles, Season 3, Episode 27. This is spooky, obviously. Who else is it going to be? Uh, and I've got Adam with me today. Adam, welcome. Hi, Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm good. I'm okay. I've got, I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a question. There's been a couple of discussions in WhatsApp groups today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one is football-related, which we'll come on to uh, later on in the podcast. But the other one is... is Jacket potato related. So um you you've been a chef, allegedly. Uh a pretty good one, so I've heard. That's definitely alleged, but yeah, we don't <laughs> uh what goes on first when you make a jacket potato? Do you put the beans on first and then grate the cheese, or do you put the cheese on first and let it melt into the potato and then cover it with beans and then sprinkle a bit more cheese on top? What's the what what's the right is there a right way of doing it? There probably isn't a right way of doing it, but what would you recommend? I mean, I have to say we're yet to have a bride and groom request jacket potatoes as part of their wedding menu. That um, would be that would be a pretty good choice to be fair, because no one ever asks for you know, no one ever goes to a chef and and asks for that particular cuisine. The margins I think it, would be amazing. Like I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Exactly. Food, exactly. Jack and potato. You, you need to you need to sneak that into your menu. But okay, let's forget I about I'd, your. I think I'd do some butter. Cut it in nearly in half. Some butter okay. and cheese. Close it up for a couple of for a minute or so. Open it back up. Then beans. Then more cheese. Okay. All right. That 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 sounds reasonable. Would you would you did you say butter as well? Right. You said the dollop so. of butter in there. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're we're just having this uh, uh, um, heated discussion. People are getting abusive about um, putting the beans on first uh, and then putting the cheese on afterwards. And I've never really thought about it that deeply. To be fair, it's just a jacket potato, lads. If you are listening to this podcast, you've just heard a certifiable chef say the best way of doing it. So do it that way. Um, the other thing we're going to chat about later is culture, which is football-related, uh, okay. uh, which is another heated discussion that's been happening in the WhatsApp groups this morning. But we're going to start with the FA Cup, um, and I'm going to remind you of something that you said that's made me laugh a little bit. Um, when we've this chatted about the FA Cup in the past, we've always, always said it's a bit of a lottery because... You know, you could have the best intentions of winning the <laughs> FA Cup, but then you might get City in the draw, and we've got City at home. Though, is that that's an advantage, right? Yeah, certainly. And I think I've been at every single one of the FA Cup semi-finals that we've lost since at least ninety four, ninety five, and those take days and days to get over. That's for sure. Whereas if we were to go out in the fourth round at home. You know, you'd probably be annoyed for a day and you'd probably be over it given what's to look forward to. So there's part of my defence mechanism that thinks if we are going to have to go out, do it when I've not started dreaming of glory just yet, as opposed to sort of edging me along and then uh, and then messing me up in April when it really does start to sting. 
Yeah, like this is the thing about Tottenham, right? Um, you do start believing the closer you get to a, a cup final, even though historically, historically, we know what happens when we get to the semi final of, of the FA Cup. Um, I, we're obviously not record holders in terms of semi finals, but we're probably record holders for the amount of defeats that we've had in semi finals, um, in succession, especially. Um, we we get to the City game momentarily. Um, obviously the Burnley game has been and gone, but it's probably just worth just looking back on it a little bit. Were you were you at the game? Did you did no, you manage to get to the game? I was okay. watching it, but I was I was at work. Fine, as long as you watched it, you would have seen the same as I did. Would you agree it was a hard? It was a bit of a slog of a game. Um, how did you read it f- from a macro st- like from an overall standpoint? Was it? Yeah, yes, it was, but. You've, you know, all of these games have to be heavily contextualised for the last month when it comes to Spurs because we've got half the team missing, um, mm. and it, and in this one, it's basically the entire position group that started the the first ten games, being the midfield and the striker, and both centre halves missing. So, yeah, it was tough. But also, what was anyone expecting? You know, the fact that it, it, it's actually quite funny to see the incredible amount of improvement that's happened with Spurs that when you mm. think of the last few managers even to Pochettino when he was down a few players how the team often just wasn't able to perform at anything like the same level the fact that we're still beating Premier League teams on a more often than not basis with over half the team out is just testament to what an amazing job he's done in building the structure and the strategy for for the guys to play because uh, you know, if Conte was missing one or two players, we've been absolutely fucked the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, and this is six or seven. So um, I, I'm not really same, same with the Bournemouth game and the Everton game. Actually, I, I'm not entertaining any negative chat about how the team played. They ended up with a win, and uh, given the lack of resources, that's an amazing achievement. Yeah, I, I, this this gets discussed after games, it, not not in a, not in a heated way, not like the the WhatsApp groups and, and Jackie Potatoes, but just in a, admit, admitting that admitting that the football hasn't been wholly conv- convincing, and the the quote that I keep hearing is that we've kind of got away with it, and it's well, okay, let's add that context into it. It's we're not playing at our maximum capacity. We do have we have had key players missing. I mean, since that Chelsea game, we, we've not really been able to field our strongest eleven. Excuse me. Forget and, not um, really. I think we've missed at least three players from every single game. That's, I mean, that is that is bonkers. When there you... might have been a couple of games where Romero and Basuma played, so we only missed Madison and Van der Ven. But more often than not, we've also had Romero missing and or Van der Ven and or Udoji. Um, and or Saar at times. So, yeah, like t- we've we've had nine at most of players that we want to play. And I think the the context has been picked up by some people, some rival supporters, some pundits, in just in, the ter- in terms of if this happens to any other football club, what kind of impact would it have on their season? And I think it would be pretty devastating. I don't know whether that's because other teams are finely tuned to the point where they don't have the flexibility, perhaps, uh, system-wise, to really amplify the players that come in. Um, and, and, I mean, that's theoretical, right? Because, like, un- unless Arsenal or someone else lose four, five, six, seven, nine players, 
we wouldn't really know how they would cope. But um, I do think that the system and the application that the players obviously are are, are giving in training and, and preparing for these games is is probably the star of the season thus far. You know, you can call it Ange Ball, you can call it whatever you want, but the impact that he's had as a as a manager, as a, a man manager, as a game manager, um, to just have these players slot in, not do the job as well as the people that should be playing in those positions, quite obviously, but enough, enough to uh, to win games, and, and not win games in 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 a desperate calam- calamitous fashion either. So, and the thing about the FA Cup as well. It's the it's the result that that matters more than anything, especially in the third round. I mean, the fourth round we're going to need a performance, but you know, Burnley. I mean, what did you think of their their performance? Because they they as much as people were frustrated about Tottenham on the evening, um, and not too dissimilar to the previous games that you alluded to. Um, it's not like we were overwhelmed. It's not like we were put under pressure. It's not like we were looking like we were going to lose the game. Some of us might have entertained the, oh, this is going to be a bit Spursy, Burnley score and win 1-0. But it never looked like happening. It just looked like, when are Spurs going to get something out of this? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it took a wonder strike, really, for us to break the deadlock, and that was enough. Um, but how, how do you find the system against the low block, against teams that do sit deep? Uh, and We've obviously seen that a few times this season. Um, it's probably quite Madison dependent to be at its peak. I think he's the kind of player that would really unlock defences like West Ham's and stuff. But from memory, uh, were Burnley necessarily that much of a low block? I mean, it struck no, me through quite a few times. And actually that yeah. mad keeper they had was charging out and sweeping everything up. And I thought that keeper had one of those games where everything just went well for him. And They weren't and overly defensive, to be fair to them. I thought they came and tried to play Burnley. Yeah. I, th- I think Company said, you know, this is the perfect game for us at this time. And I think what he probably meant by that was he wasn't going to chuck it, but they were absolutely going to play the way they want to keep playing. And if they lose, so be it, because they've got other things to focus on. Um, that was my reading on on his uh, pre-match press conference. And I think that probably showed itself in the game. It, it didn't strike me that, look, we were doing a lot of attacking. And by definition, that, that forced them backwards. But it didn't strike me that their default position was 10 men behind the ball and, and just whack it away. Yeah. Did you did what 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 did you kind of take out of that game again, considering the missing players and just the way that we're having to compete at the minute with two fullbacks in in central defence? Was there anything that that kind of stood out for you? We had we had one or two players come back into the fold. You know, uh, Ryan Sessignon uh, came came off a little cameo. Um, Dane Scarlett. Um, Came on, looked a bit uh, handy with his feet, um, quite conf- confident on the ball. Oh, God, excuse me. Let me just uh, just mute myself momentarily. Been sick for about four months, I reckon. So, um, Not ideal. Uh, yeah, apologies for... Uh, I just had to snort uh, rather aggressively. Um, yeah, so Ryan Sessignon, Dane Scarlett... Um, obviously, Benton Cause continuing his uh, return uh, into the fold, and he's he's as silky as he's ever been, really. And you can tell that he's not anywhere near his capacity. But was there anything that kind of stood out for you 
not in just that game, but over the festive period, because we haven't chatted, obviously, over Christmas. And we've kind of got through Christmas pretty well, considering how concerned we were at one stage about what we were going to do um, between, I guess, losing Romero and, and the end of the year. But what what have your standouts been in, in, in these last batch of games? I think overall, um, sometimes it takes a bit of luck to stumble across a transformative player. And I'm not saying that we stumbled across these guys at all, because obviously a lot of scouting has gone into it. But in... Poro, Vicario and Adoji are sort of a triangle of players. We've basically got three players that pool. I think every team in the league would want all three of them. Probably to start for them at this stage, the way they're playing. And that's pretty amazing to have that as such an important... Yeah, all you know, Both sides of the pitch and the centre of the defence are basically covered now with, I would say, borderline already world-class players, which is amazing. And then you've got the emergence of someone like Saar, who was a bit clunky last year when he played. Obviously, he was playing in a system that didn't suit anyone, so you weren't going to judge yeah. him. But yeah. the way in which he's emerged into a you know up and down, um, protective and creative player at times is amazing. And and yeah, we haven't stumbled across these guys because obviously people get paid an awful lot of money to find them. But those four players in particular. You know, we knew Madison was going to be good, and you know that Kulusevski is a good player, and you've got Benton and Basuma has a track record, and Romero's a World yeah. Cup winner. Van der Ven, you obviously hope, is going to keep going as he is. But I think those four players in particular who have come in, I know, I know Poro played a few games last year, but you take those four, or you take sort of Lloris, Emerson, Sessegnon, and Hoiberg, and it's not a huge surprise that in those four players we've upgraded, and now we look like such a better team. And I think over Christmas in particular, um, the Bournemouth game, um, Everton as well, it, it just highlighted, and, and Newcastle, it just highlighted how much quality we've been able to add in, in one or two summers, which is, is amazing, really. Like, that doesn't happen, and you have to take advantage of it. See, this is where you need to give Postacoglu a lot of credit, in because there was so much discussion over Poro and Destiny in the summer that they just don't fit. They won't fit into Angeball. They won't fit into the football that he, he likes to play. They're not they're not adaptable in 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 in, in the system. Um, and yet you look at both of them now, and they're just absolute world beaters. Just in terms of how comfortable they do look on the ball and defending. I mean, Poro's defensive accountability and and delivery has, has been outstanding. But. Go, but going forward, both have, have been influential and they both look perfect for this system. Now, I don't know whether that was just a collective um, lack of understanding of football and football players and coaching from from the hive of social media and, and football supporters in general, or, or whether it does have a lot to do with just man management as well, just just seeing, because obviously Postacoglu has this thing about not necessarily reinventing players, but getting the very best out of them, yeah, and perhaps sometimes in surprising fashion. Um, he's a good coach. He's not just this caricature of an Australian that likes to say mate, which I think is probably wearing thin on most people, especially Ange right now. Hmm. Um, the, the the big thing, obviously, with the Burnley game as well. I mean, you mentioned Saar. You know, he's away um, on international duty, and 
of course, so is Son. Um, now, Richarlison is is one of these uh, kind of uh, players that will always split the discussion. And, and obviously, this week we've had other ex players, pundits, criticise him as being <clears throat> uh, League Two worthy rather than Premier League worthy. If he wasn't Brazilian, he'd be playing in League Two. Why does he attract so so much um, criticism and just like why are people so obsessive about the guy? We kind of know his limitations. How do you, how do you think he's doing? And considering the responsibility on his shoulder now with with Son uh, away for for a month or so, how do you think he's doing? What do you think he can offer us in this in this period of time? And do you think Spurs need to? Maybe dip into the transfer market in January to get another option, or is someone like Dane Scarlett going to surprise people? Considering he can't go back out on loan again, I'd be most surprised if Dane Scarlett surprised us. To be honest, I don't. Yeah. I don't really yeah. see it there. I mean, that shot. I was working in Radlett on Friday night, and that shot nearly hit me. I think before it got a deflection <laughs> out for a corner. Um, yeah, I, 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 Scarlett, I think is, look, maybe he will surprise us all, but I don't see the green shoots of a Premier League career yet in him. Perhaps that that's overly harsh and I'm sure people will tell me if so. Um, Richarlison is just what he is. And I know that's a stupid thing to say ultimately, but in, in he, <laughs> he reminds me kind of of the way Darwin Nunes plays in that I don't think Richarlison is ever going to be a player that's like in form. For me, it will always be a surprise when he scores. Does that make sense? Right. It kind of does because that's how I feel about him at the minute. Like I never go into a game expecting Richarlison to score. I know he has the ability to score, but whenever he does, it's like, oh, fucking hell, Richarlison scored. That's great. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's a huge surprise that his goals in general have been instinctive. I, only, I think only one goal for Spurs he scored has been with two touches, I think, and that was the second against Newcastle. Um and I, I just think he is what he is. And I don't think he's going to be good enough for the long term. But equally, I think he's played a crucial part in dragging us to get 10 points in December that we otherwise wouldn't. And um, I, f- I find the criticism of Richarlison and Brennan Johnson at the minute really quite strange internally, right, from our own fans. Like, what? Yeah. yeah we, we won. The games we lost, we didn't lose them because of those two guys, that's for sure, um, which was West Ham and Brighton. Um they both contributed hugely to all of the wins that we've had in the month of December. And I don't know, it just it feels like you know, Richarlison scored five goals in December and then had a bad game against Burnley and people are just launching at him. And I, I find it really quite confusing. Um, as I say, I don't think he's the future. I, he probably, he might not even be the present, but he's done a damn good job of resurrecting himself, even for the short term for us. And it's only benefited Tottenham. So... I really find the criticism of him quite hard to to understand. Um, I know, I know, I know. This this will come in for criticism because obviously it's it's been used to attack. Um, that's the right word, uh, Eric Dyer, for example. You know, like it's all good and well him being a nice guy and he's he's a good guy around the dressing room. But how does that benefit the team if he's not capable? Well. First of all, we know he's not capable, which is why he's he's been pushed out of the football club, which is why we're looking to sell him. So there's no need to be offended by Eric Dyer, you know. It's and it's not like Eric Dyer puts on the Tottenham shirt 
and says, I don't give a fuck about this. I'm going to go out there and make a mistake. Like most of the mistakes we were making last season was this, again, this collective lack of confidence in the football that we were playing that really invited players to make mistakes. Um, Dyer doesn't have the capacity to defend and, and it doesn't have the pace to defend in this Postacoglu team. We know that. But he could, but it's fine. It's fine to say, actually, it's fine to say that you think he's rubbish for Tottenham. But it's also okay not to hate him. And with Richarlison, we're not at that stage. He's not doing anything that's detrimental, even though people might say he needs three or four chances to be able to score. His first touch is woeful, which is why he can never get any power in, you know, onto onto his foot for the for the for the shot. Um, like you said, he's very instinctive. Like a lot of strikers, you give him a second. They, they fuck it up, you know, you, you give them a split second, they find the back of the net. It's all very much traits that are that are commonplace in football. But Richarlison, bless his Brazilian heart, it would never stop grafting. You can never question his application in, in, in the team. And this isn't like Soldado link-up play or, um, I don't know, uh, who, Eric Lamella running around like a headless chicken. This is like he does do things that are positive for for the team, and he does get himself into positions. Perhaps you know everything is being compared to subconsciously and consciously to Harry Kane as well. So we we have been <laughs> unbelievably spoiled by Kane and Son over the years, um, and 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 that's an expectation that we should aim for again, no doubt about it. And I don't think Richarlison is. I don't think he, he's going. He's going to be here beyond this season. Is 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 probably not that, not that much of a controversial uh, prediction. But in the meantime, if he can score a few, great. And he and he's he's obviously you know he he's he's getting involved. He's he's getting involved in goal chances. Uh, and if Perisic wasn't you know gone out for the season, gone from Tottenham forever, he'd probably score a few more with his head as well. It's just. Um, the way is the Johnson discussion. So just quickly, Ange also go. picks him every single time he's available to play. Um, and, fair point, yeah. You know, with players like Dyer and Hoiberg, they have been proper in case of the, you know, if we literally haven't got an 11th player that needs to play, fine, you idiots are going to have to play. But Richarlison <laughs> is not treated like that by Postacoglu at all. Yeah. And I think if anyone deserves some benefit of the doubt in their decision-making... It's the manager at this stage, and so if he thinks there's something there, I'm I'm willing to go with it. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, now, Brennan Johnson is is the interesting one, right? Because Brennan Johnson, young raw talent, okay, made made a big step up. Unlike Jed Spence, for example, capable and able to make that step up to the Premier League. Um, obviously, you know he's played he's played for Forest, you know, before we signed him, played last season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The point being is. He's a mature, composed young man. He's not refined. There's certain things he doesn't do right. But he's just got here. And I know there's people in front of me at Tottenham in the South Stand and there's, there's people after the game that are really hypercritical about it. He's not good enough. We need to get someone else in. And the reality is, I think I mentioned this on on, on, on uh, the therapy sessions yesterday. Um, yeah, he, you know, he's there's growth to be had there. He's someone that probably won't get into the team if we had a full strength eleven, but that that, that you, you're not you don't that you're you're then not completely dismissive about the player. I personally, I, I want to get your 
perspective on this, but I per- I personally think that you got Madison in the team. You know, I think Johnson, the way that he plays, he doesn't make he doesn't need to make forty yard sprints. They're probably shorter sprints, fifteen, twenty, twenty yard diagonal sprints. He know, you know, Madison will be feeding in balls. It'd be a lot easier for him to run onto the ball with the with the goal facing him, and for him to at that point hopefully instinctively take a shot because I think we've got a general shot problem at Tottenham. We seem to want to walk the ball uh, into the back of the net. But I just think it's just refinement around the team to then allow someone like Johnson to blossom. And if that means he, he comes in and out of the team between now and the end of the season, that's fine. Doesn't We don't need him to be end product right now, even though some people demand end products from everybody all of the time. Um, where do you land with, with just uh, the, the the kind of care package that we need to kind of wrap Johnson around? Or do you think he needs to be more of a bastard bit more ruthless a bit more a bit more bullish because i think physically he does all right i th- i think there's a level to be had to be found in terms of the way that he digs into games but i'm I not think... you know i'm not i'm not disappointed in his performances um i'm not i think i said it on this on this show with you but i i always remember seeing Nadogi for the first time and you know, a slightly hack-eyed comparison, but the, the young left-back that Adoji replaced this year was Sessegnon. And if you look at how Sessegnon always looked like, he had terror in his eyes. And Adoji just turned up and he, he he was very much sort of the, the I am him kind of thing. And he stepped into the team and has quite clearly established himself that I am the guy. And I think there's a bit of Johnson that lacks there. And right. it shouldn't do, because I think he's got all the talent that we need and his instincts and his his sort of basics are, look pretty great to me. And I, I almost think he does himself a disservice by not appearing to have that same level of self-confidence that perhaps right. he, he could or should do. But if you um, if you look at the goal that Richarlison scored against Bournemouth from that, the, you know, the second cross from Johnson yep. across the box, like the movement is amazing. He comes short and spins and he leaves the right back, uh, the left back. It, like It's like an NFL wide receiver leaving a defender on his ass. Like it, it was brilliant movement. And just seeing stuff like that, there's so much talent there. And then to find the cross with the first touch that I think you're right. When when it's players like Madison that are playing him through, I think he's going to find so much joy. And ultimately, I think Johnson is suffering as a result of the amount of money that Spurs paid for him, which yeah. is part of, it's, it's part, it's part of the territory, but it's completely not his fault. Um and I think if he was signed for 15 million quid, fans would, would be you know, ecstatic about what, what we've signed. Now, of course, the club still paid the money and you would hope that the player can live up to it. But from a purely yeah. quality of player standpoint, I, I really think that if, um, if there were less expectations from day one on him, we'd be really, really excited about the player we've got. And that's what I'm trying to take through with him. Albeit there are a bit, the, the odd frustration where I think he could, be a little bit more confident in himself, ultimately. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do think that, you know, it's easy to call him a nice guy, right? But, um, he probably needs to stand up a, a little bit more and, and, and just get a bit more bruising, um, just spend a bit more time with Romero, maybe. Or actually, not too much time with with, with Kuti. But um, I I have never thought about his price tag. It's it's weird because I've, I've, seen, I've seen tweets, I've seen people talk about... 
he's a waste of money for 40 million quid. And I'm like, are, we, are you really going to do this? Is this just a consequence of us having too much time on our hands and, and being able to read each other's thoughts instantly on social media that we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to basically get on this guy's back. I think this might be a trait with all fan bases, by the way, but I, th- I think sometimes I do question how demanding football supporters are in, in terms of in terms of a new signing, especially if it's a young guy. It's a bit different if you're spending 40, 50 million quid on someone who you, you kind of know and expect will bring a particular uh, uh, type of uh, form and quality to 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 the, the first team instantly hit the ground running. I think with with Johnson, there was always going to be that 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 period of time where he just needs to adjust and grow a little bit. Um, talking of growth, I do I do think, um, and um, this may be way off, but I I do think that there is a real impatience in the Tottenham fan base that stems from the trophy thing that is an albatross around everyone's neck. And I get, I do get that. I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not saying it's right, but I do think it's yeah. there. I, I, I do get it. I do get it. But also, and I'm, I'm not gonna go into this, but I'm just gonna say it because I've said it a million times before. I'm gonna say it again. We could have won something under Mourinho had he not got sacked. If he wasn't shit and 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 deserved to get sacked, and uh, let's say we beat City, that would have been a trophy in recent years. Now ask yourselves, and this is to you, Adam, it's the people that do allow the trophy thing to to weigh them down. How does that change your life, really? Other than what? Being able to say, well, we won a trophy a couple of years ago so that you don't get bantered off by rival fans who you shouldn't give a fuck about what they've got to say anyway. So I'm not not dismissing winning trophies, by the way. We need to win trophies. I, I do, however, believe that winning trophies can and should be more about the team and the players that you're winning them with, you know. Um, but obviously that's subjective. You know, when we when we beat Chelsea, it means a lot to me because we beat Chelsea in, in the 2008, 2008 final and we thrashed Arsenal in the semi-final. That's why I remember that. I, I never remember the fact that Ramos was our manager. I don't give him any credit. I've just completely forgotten about him being the manager that took us to that final. So it's all subjective. It is subjective. It, it doesn't make sense from one person to the next. No doubt this little ramble probably doesn't make sense to some people. But I As do I've think... Said, the, the saddest part for me about Mourinho getting sat before the cup final is that we had to wear masks at Wembley that day and I'd spent 20 quid on having a Jose out mask printed uh, to, to wear to Wembley and he got fucking sacked before I could even wear it to the game. I was gutted. Yeah, that that is massively disappointing and I hope that you've sent... Uh, um, a, a complaint, to yeah, yeah, just to get your money back on that. Really, yeah, the timing yeah. was completely off. Um, so City, <laughs> City. I saw a stat; they've had eighty-four, eighty-three, eighty-four shots. I think one of those two numbers. Uh, zero goals at Tottenham State at the Tottenham Stadium. Um, they haven't scored against us in North London for quite a while. Obviously, they're going to they're gonna end up beating us now, having just said that out loud. Um, but do you, fa- do, you, do you genuinely fancy it uh, against City, considering it's considering City barely lose in any competition? To be fair, right, and City making changes to their team, 
tends to be just rotating Foden, which is scary enough as it is. So um, compared to what we have, we would need everyone really back by then, more or less, right? Or, or well, we won't have everyone back, unfortunately. But what what are you thinking? I don't want to. I don't want a game prediction because obviously we can all just say, "Oh, I think Spurs are going to win." Well, I think we're going to lose. But but has it changed your? You said it earlier. Has it changed your whole perspective on the FA Cup? Because suddenly this pressure from media and fans. Oh, we should we should try and win the FA Cup now. But you know, fair enough if you're getting easy draws all the way up to the semi final. But it's Man- Manchester fucking City in the next round. I um, I feel like I've found true Postacoglu enlightenment actually, because I was watching the draw yesterday, and I realised that I don't really think about who Spurs are playing anymore. In, in a weird way. I, I kind of feel that if I'm I watching like Tottenham it. play the way that Tottenham want to play, we're going to win all the time now. Uh, and that may be the rosiest of tinted glasses, but I honestly feel that the way in which we play and we want to play, if we execute to the level that we can, I'll, t- I'll take anyone on at this the way, at the moment. And w- whereas sort of in the past... The thought of a tricky cup draw, you know, under Mourinho going to Everton, fuck, that's going to be doggy and we're not going mm. to get through them. The other way we play, we're going to get two chances in the game. We're going to have 10 chances to score against Man City at home. <clears throat> and then it's just a case of, are we going to take them? Uh, and, yeah. and I feel I feel in a similar way against Man United this weekend. We're going to have more than enough chances to win two games. And there may, be, it may not be actual shots on target, but it will be positions where if someone finds a pass, we're in. Yeah, and yeah. are we going to take it? Um, that that that's how I go into all these games. Even Brighton, we got absolutely battered. You know, we could have we could have had a couple of goals in the first five minutes if a better pass had been played. Um, because the way in which we play puts us in positions where it's very very difficult to stop us. And so, um, I go into every game with hope now, which is not something that I've ever had in my life with Spurs. Even in the peak peak Pochettino years, there were always times where I thought this could be tricky. I, I now am just at the point where if Spurs play the way we want to play, we should win, and it, it's mad, really. How, how you how have you got into January? Because January is the most draining of months from a football supporter perspective. Because even if you try to ignore the the, the, the transfer window and deadline day and all all the other bollocks that comes with it, uh, even if you're disconnected from social media, you're still thinking about are we going to get in players? And the big thing about this January was. You know the fact that we've got missing players on international duty and injured players and players coming back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was about getting getting players in early, not necessarily just to get them into the first game that we've got in Jan, uh, that being United this Sunday, but 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 getting them in so that they can spend January on the training pitch and and, and be ready to go really where it matters towards the back end of the uh, of the month into the the. Not quite the home stretch, but it's 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 the business end of the second half of the season. This is where we're going to really find out what we can do uh, as we um, go through these uh, changes at Tottenham, these, these positive changes under Postacoglu. Um, obviously, at the time of speaking, Timo Werner is in London. He's having the second part of his medical today, apparently. So that should be announced maybe today, maybe tomorrow. 
that's a loan deal, six months. Um, will there be a clause in there for us to sign him permanently? So it's up to the player. It's up to Postacoglu. It's up to Spurs, really, to make that uh, a reality for him. It, it, it's not a bad thing to have. I prefer these type of deals uh, because I hate a deal where the player will go back to their club. Yeah. No questions asked because then, if, especially if that player does really well. Not that that's happened recently, but... Um, then the other player obviously has been it feels like it's been a long running saga uh, so that's uh, Dragushin Radu Dragushin at Genoa centre back that we desperately do need that's kind of dragged on and I think a lot of the a lot of the coverage of that has been typical January coverage where people agents social media accounts journalists add flavour and plots and, and twist turns to plot twists rather uh, and turns in, in the, the story arc to every transfer because it's boring to say Spurs are in deep discussion with the player. It might take a week or two. Uh, don't expect any other updates until it, until we know it's the medical, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. There's no there's no engagement. There's no clickbait potential off the back of that. There has to be other things chucked in there to make it look like Spurs are going to miss out, and that's the way it's looked on and off for the last few days to those that have sold their soul to, to, to believing all the nonsense online. That looks like it's happening. A centre-back and a forward player could play wide. Um, and maybe more, because we've got the rest of the month to go. Maybe a midfielder. Maybe a four, another a striker, maybe. We're talking about Richarlison. Maybe another striker to come in. Who knows? We don't know what's, what else Spurs are cooking, right? Definitely not cooking jacket potatoes anymore and fish fingers. We, we we seem to have leveled up. How impressed? I mean, are you impressed or is this normal? Should this be normal for Tottenham in January, in any transfer window, to just get it done early? Players targeted, Bosch in, out, done. I uh, my only res- my main reservation about Werner is that I would have really liked a wing forward to come in that is someone that you can see being part of the squad for the next few years. Now right. that may be the case if Werner hits the ground running, uh, which would probably be less likely, you would say, given his his previous few years. But there are intangibles there that you hope will be good for Spurs. But I think we probably, if we were going to be serious about next year, we probably need need between now and then about six more players to come in and really flesh the squad out. And so Damn. my main concern is if we were to only get one this window, it puts quite a lot of work on the summer, which is always a bit truncated with a European championship. But I mean, I'm really looking forward to stuff that I don't need to worry about at, at this stage. Um, I mean, if you think the transfer stuff has been bad this two weeks, Spurs have had games in the past two weeks. We haven't got a game for 14 days after Sunday. Um yeah. It's going to be just wall-to-wall transfer, just chaos and rumours, especially if we've got the two guys in already and there's there's basically not going to be any open leads, maybe apart from Gallagher. I imagine yeah. you are going to see all sorts of shite being thrown around left Oh, and 100%. 100% because, because you know, Spurs is a... Is a Tottenham Hotspur is an economy on social media. Like, you know, if you want clicks and impressions and engagement you have to mention Tottenham's name with any player yeah. and yeah. and then you're going to get a, a ton of it off the back of it and there might be some I'm not I'm not dismissing every single rumor and every every single story that kind of leaks out in, into the ether but 
the fact that people believe in every single update and every single player being linked and then get angry if that player is no longer linked and we've missed out, it's mostly all in your heads, people. Like, just choose not to be that fussed about it until the player's holding up a shirt because then it's definitive. Everything before that is, you know, is basically just words on a platform. Um, unless, of course, we know for certain that a player is in Hotspur way, you know, having a medical. Just on Tino Werner, I, I kind of, um, I think, again, on, on Therapy Sessions, which is a, the Patreon-only podcast, uh, there was a Chelsea supporter that um, um, kind of sent me a message. And what she was saying was um, she thinks uh, Timo Werner's uh, grossly underrated. Uh, he makes brilliant runs that opens up uh, buckets of space for others to run into. Um, I think his goal contributions are one in every two games. Um, what else did she say? He's also someone that constantly wants to better himself, always plays for the team, never lets bullshit get him down, just still uh, cracks on rather than sulks, which is more than can be said for a lot of players. Those are really, those strike me as, obviously, that, that's that's a personality thing, right? And with Spurs of the minute, a lot of the, the stuff that we're doing in the transfer market is, is data-led, but it's also profile-led. Is this the right person? And the guy supposedly spoke to Postacoglu and he was like, I want to go to Tottenham. I want to, I, want, I want to get it done as quickly as possible, which is mad considering that Postacoglu wasn't meant to have any any kind of pull uh, for any type of player. And yet we've got players that want to play for him when they speak to him because I think they they there's something, there's an energy there that there wasn't with, with the likes of Conte and, and, and Jose Mourinho who kind of prioritised their own ego and 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 just use the club as a plaything more than the other way around where Postacoglu is trying to amplify all the good things about Tottenham and correct all the bad things about us. So look, yeah, he's not a goal scorer, right? He's not a natural goal scorer. There's question marks over how many he will score for us. But I'm a little bit hyped. I'm a little bit excited. I think he I think technically I think he fits and and, and as as I, as I just said profile-wise he, he definitely uh, fits as well. And, and as for Dragosheen, I'm not going to pretend I've watched the guy play. I'm going off the back of what other people have said, you know, and much like Mickey van der Ven, even Romero to an extent, um, I'm happy that the club know that, that that is the right player for the position. And that's enough for me. You know, it's quite boring. This isn't the extra inch. I can't go into any data um, uh, or any other information uh uh, based on performances and the rest of it. Sometimes it's just a bit of faith. You know, the club is doing what we need them to do, which is something that they haven't been doing for a long time. Um, someone who hasn't done anything to help himself out is Jed Spence. Mm. So it, it's a frustrating one, right? Because I definitely was like, I'm okay with Jed. Club's, club signing, it's okay to sign a player for the future. Even though arguably Conte would would have said, and other supporters would have said, buy players for the present day to back the manager. I mean, fair enough, not disputing that. But I thought Spence, Spence looked a talent, um, but no one seems to, uh, well, everyone seems to agree that he, there's something not quite right there with his application, his attitude. Um, 
I mean, anything you want to add to that? I mean, I mean, I've not seen him play for Leeds, so I can't really, can't really again, I can't really tell you whether he's been playing well um, when he has been playing. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Um, I mean, it didn't seem like Forrest with Steve Cooper tried that hard to buy him for Middlesbrough when we got him, so maybe there was something in that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's difficult to talk about this sort of stuff when there's personal rumours going around and you don't really want to get embroiled in that, but it doesn't... Oh, right. Okay. I'm unaware of that. Um, fair enough. Well, there, there yeah. appears to be... It appears to be a character thing more than anything, doesn't it? And I think even Daniel Farker alluded to that with his discussions yeah. about why Spence yeah. was sent back. So that's a tricky one to get into. I mean, let's be honest, we've not seen the guy play, so we don't know if he's a good player or not, really. Um, <clears throat> but it, it seems that there's more to the foot more to it than just the football here so you yeah I don't want to muddy the waters really in, in how how we talk about it fair enough uh we're, we're ending the normal pod on a downer there we've just spent say something positive about spurs and then we're, we're crack on with the patreon only part uh spurs are brilliant and ah, what enough. they've achieved in five months is unlike anything we've ever seen I would right say. so on the Patreon part of the podcast, we're going to talk about culture because the other heated debate that was going on in the WhatsApp groups earlier today was to do with culture at the football club. Someone was saying there's no such thing. You're just either winning games or you're not. Um, but there has to be a difference between cu- culture when you compare us now to what we've had in the last four years. So we will get to that momentarily. Thank you for downloading the podcast. If you want to hear the Patreon part, get over to uh, patreon.com, Spooking Purgatory for more podcasting and other bits and pieces. Thank you for listening.